Hello everyone, it's Britt the Petite Polymath. Today we're going to talk about Gabrielle Zevin's book, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Hello, so um, I have been reading lots of nonfiction most recently, and now I'm reading some more fiction again. And I read this book, I started it maybe, maybe I read a, maybe a, a few pages about a month ago with the intention of saving it for travel. And I went on a trip this weekend, and so I finished it this weekend. And it is excellent, excellent. Was I crying in the Delta Lounge waiting for my flight? Yes, yes I was. Um, so tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. We're trying a little experiment here because I have notes on my phone and I screenshot some pictures because I downloaded this on my Kindle. But honestly, I think I'm gonna have to buy this in hard copy because I think it's a book that I'm gonna wanna go back and read again. It is a beautiful book about friendship. It's a beautiful book about friends as colleagues, uh, professional colleagues, friends as lovers, um, about loss, about video games, which I don't know much about, but that's neither here nor there. The uh, premise, well actually, let's back up. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. This is a reference to Shakespeare Macbeth, one of my favorite Shakespeare tragedies. And it, it, that's gonna be very important um, because of one of the characters in the book. Um, the main characters are um, a, a boy named Sam, um, a girl named Sadie, and it's really about their friendship and then other people that are also very important. Um, a, a guy named, or a boy named Marx, who becomes pretty important. Um, and the three of them together actually are kind of like the foundation of the book. But Sam and Sadie are where we start. So we start with a young girl who is coping with the uh, illness of her older sister. So Sadie, Jewish girl from LA, you know, upper middle class family. Her sister Alice has a childhood cancer and Sadie is kind of like the invisible child as everyone's putting all their energy into her sister who is fighting cancer and going through chemo and is in and out of the hospital, right? In the midst of all this, she meets a boy named Sam who is also in the hospital for a very different reason and they bond over video games and they start playing games together. And they continue to play games together throughout the course of Sadie having to be at this hospital to support her sister. Um, through life, very similarly to kind of, it's like an unsensualized uh, version of um, Normal People uh, that was on Hulu um, because they come in and out of each other's lives or they're inner connected and intertwined though people other people come and go and they and maybe the amount of intimacy that Sam and Sadie have waxes and wanes throughout the course of the novel and their and their life right but they are forever connected so you know you find out and it's not spoiling that Sam um, has an injury um, from a traumatic experience as a kid and this is something that is um, a disability throughout the remainder of his life. He has a wonky foot from an injury um, in a um, 
motor vehicle accident, and you find out more about him. Sam is half Jewish, half Korean, and he is living with his grandparents who own a pizza parlor in L.A., and this is kind of pre-gentrification L.A. And, uh, you know, fast forward through their adolescence to when Sam and Sadie go off to college. They both end up on the East Coast, Sadie at MIT, Sam at Harvard, and Sam ends up getting this really kind of fairy god brother, Marx, who becomes his roommate. Um, Marx is half Japanese, half Korean, kind of a very like, you know, he has all the things. He's beautiful and charming and all the girls love him and all the guys want to be him. And he's also really smart and he's also really wealthy and he's kind, okay? And he kind of takes this introvert Sam under his wing. Well, Sam and Sadie reconnect and they start making video games together and Marx kind of comes along with them for the ride, um, almost like a benefactor to them. And the story is about their relationship, how they fall in and out of love with each other, um, how other people move in. You've got, you know, Sadie's life at MIT and the people she meets. You've got Sam and Marx at Harvard and the people they meet. And then you have them moving back cross country to build this, this video game um, business together. And I, I think what this really is, because I, I wasn't allowed to play video games as a kid. Um, my mom thought it rotted the brain more than even television did. And also, since I only see it out of one eye, she was like very, very um, concerned about eye strain. <laughs> so this was not something that I got to do. My brother, on the other hand, played all the games. Um, so it wasn't really something I did until I started dating a guy in medical school who loved video games. Um, and so I played some Halo. I played a little Grand Theft Auto. Horrible game, for the record. Gross. Um, played a little uh, World of Warcraft. Never did any Dungeons and Dragons, although I do love Stranger Things, so I have a soft spot for, like, the lore of this. Um, so, yeah, not really my thing, though, to play video games. But this idea of creating worlds where we can do things we can't do in the natural world, or creating worlds that we can control because we can't control what happens in this world. These are themes that are very important in this book. Um, I made notes, and so we're going to experiment and see how this works. Um, so themes of this story, and let's see if it's going to let me do it or if it's, gonna, if it's going to fail me. It's possible that it might try to fail me tonight. I think that it's going to try to mess me up because I can't see my notes on here, and that makes me really sad. Um, that's either here or there. Let's see what I screenshot. So there is the idea of portals, and I found actually um, the quote. Um, she walked through another gate. It occurred to Sadie. She had thought she arrived, but life was always arriving. There was always another gate to pass through, until, of course, there wasn't. She walked through another gate. What was a gate anyway? A doorway, she thought a portal, the possibility of a different world, the possibility that you might walk through the door and reinvent yourself as something better than you had been before. So this book does failure really well. You know, the idea that in order to um, 
to master something, we have to take risk. It's safe to never actually put yourself out there. And that's emotionally, that's also professionally, that is physically, that is all the ways of what it means to like be alive and be a human. And um, we don't create a lot of space and certain personality types are not ones that lend themselves to being uh, willing to risk it. The shame of failure, um, just like how hard we are on ourselves when we fail. Maybe for some of us, we don't feel like we have the freedom to fail because if we mess up, there's no one to catch us and everything's riding on us, which is something that's really common um, in maybe uh, families of immigrants, uh, marginalized populations. I know for me, I always felt the weight that I couldn't ever mess up and that I had to get it right. And that maybe a lot of my decisions in my life were framed through the lens of like, what is a reasonable risk, but like what's not so great of a risk that I'm going to not lose it all, right? Um, so I think that the concept of what it means to put yourself out there and fail creatively um, and professionally is a very important theme in this book. Also, um, love and all the ways that we miss each other. Um, Sam and Sadie have a very interesting relationship because they know each other, other better than, the, than anyone else. And yet, there are these deep spaces of unknowing. And they make a lot of assumptions where they miss each other. And uh, it's because they don't use their words. It's because they don't communicate um, clearly. They're afraid of how that's going to look to the other person. Um, they just don't put everything out there in the open. and They miss opportunities and they miss each other. Uh, mental health and depression. Uh, this is something that comes up a lot for Sadie's character. And to see depression... Um, and what it looks like to love someone through that, to just show up and be consistent, um, is really neat. And then there's this uh, concept of Sam and Mark's being each other's foil. You know, Mark kind of seems to live a charmed life. But when you look at it, it's not that he didn't have hardship, because you see the hardships Mark's has, despite his privilege. It's because Mark's has a view of the world as a place where anything's possible. And he comes at everyone from a place of abundance, not of, out of scarcity. There's enough love to go around. There's enough of him to go around. And because of that, the way that he moves through space, people just are drawn to him. Um, he has a lot of action in the play, in the, in the book. And so there's a, there's a bit, though, about um, an ex-girlfriend of his. And uh, I thought this was a, a cute a sentiment. The way to turn an ex-lover into a friend is to never stop loving them, to know that when one phase of a relationship ends, it can transform into something else. It is to acknowledge that love is both a constant and a variable at the same time. So there's a lot about loss. Um, you have the deaths of parents, the deaths of friends, um, the deaths of lovers slash partners. And, uh, and that is um, in the real world, which is juxtaposed to this world of video games where you can die multiple ways and yet that's just the end and you just get to play the game over, right? A death is just a new start over and over and over in this virtual world. And that's not the world we live in.
um, it hit me really hard. You know, I, uh, I live in a land of death because of what I do for work. And it's not necessarily, as Sam would call, a video death, video game death, where people die immediately. It's a drawn-out death where people, you know, lose themselves. They fade out in real time, and people have to grieve them. Um, and I help navigate people through these situations. And then, of course, I'm a person with, you know, people in my personal life, not what I do. Um, and I face deaths that are video game deaths where people are here and gone. And I face deaths where people I've watched fade in front of my eyes. And I think to know that I will die. And that people that I love that aren't dead yet will die. Um, the beauty of the universality of that and, uh, and the, the sadness and yet the impetus to do something with that knowledge is done so beautifully in this book. So beautifully. Um, Marx uh, has a nickname later in the book. And he, um, he loved the Iliad and his favorite part was the end about Hector being a tamer of horses. And he loved that because he said, you know, a life well lived is a life that is not necessarily being the hero and saving the day. It's about having a simple life with integrity, loving the people around you, raising your kids, going to work every day and being a good employee, being a nice neighbor. That's a life well lived. Like, who cares about all the other stuff? And uh, I thought that was so beautiful. Um, one of uh, the characters, Sam's grandma, is talking about ghost. And I saved this because I wanted to, to um, just kind of sit with this thought. So um, Sam is talking to his grandma about his mom who died. And his mom, his grandma, doesn't believe in ghosts, right? She says, uh, Sam, don't be ridiculous. There are no ghosts. But up here, she gestured towards her head. It's a haunted house. And I thought that was just that concept that there might not be ghosts in the natural world, but in our minds, we, our minds are full of all the people we've ever known and loved. And no matter if they're not here tomorrow, they're in our minds. They are always with us. Um, like these avatars of them are in our memories. And uh, yeah, it's just a, um, a really, really beautiful book. I um, am sad that I don't have my notes, but maybe that's okay. I think that the things that I wanted to talk about we're still pretty hashed out, you know. Um, loving and losing. Uh, people loving people and missing out on them. Uh, there's, there's a part where Sam tells uh, Marx about Sadie 
that he loves her and he knows her more than anyone else and he loves her more than anyone else and that anybody can be a lover but not anyone can create with you and be collaborative with you and that the things that he loved about her were, were those things, the space to build worlds with her, that he didn't like need necessarily the physical connection with her because he had this other connection which was um, very profound. Also, his issues with chronic pain and how he embodied that and, and how that impacted his ability to like connect with people physically, uh, with affection, and with, like, sex, with sex. Like He just couldn't, he always felt pain and so he wanted to not feel anything. That meant he felt more uh, comfortable when he didn't even realize he had a body. And I, I thought about people who live with pain, especially from like a very young age, how that starts to, to change like their views of pleasure even and what is pleasurable for them and, and how the meeting of minds like transcends even what we do with our bodies, right? But how important our bodies are because like if they're not here, we're not here. Um, go read the book. Man, Gabrielle Zevin, she did it. I, I'm going to be thinking about this for a, for a while. Really enjoyed it. So for things that are making me happy, I'm also reading at night a book called, um, Rituals of Women Who Work. And it's just like the routines of all sorts of creatives um, throughout the ages that have been documented that are women. It's been really fun. I've loved it. Aside from that, I'm just kind of, you know, one day at a time, folks. That's all we can do, right? Have a good rest of the week.